Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac, and I am not alone. Who do I have with me? I'm one of your other guest hosts, Derek from How Not to DM. Uh, and that is a pivotal point for today's episode. Long story, extremely short. It has rarely happened because I have a lot of checks and balances, but I have completely lost and ruined my own audio. Um, and <laughs> that episode will be re-recorded with that guest. But thankfully, I have a wonderful friend who has come on and decided that we should talk about how not to be, or wait, how not to DM. There it was. I was going to say how not to be a bad DM, but that's not true. These are just stories about bad DMs, but how not to DM. And today we're going to break down some of the internet's worst stories that we could find. And we're going to try and make it as lighthearted as possible because doing this research made me sad. <laughs> Luckily, my stories are probably less of really awful examples than yours. Mine are from my own guests that I, I pulled um, for my show, so... I don't want to put them on blast too badly. But yes, there are going to be some some cringy, cringy moments. Uh, so a little bit of, of a, a precursor or a, a warning to, to those of you out there. Just be prepared for some, some awful, awful human behavior. But before we jump into that, if you are a patron of the Dungeon Masters block or you're thinking about becoming a patron, head over to our Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes um, because I wisely change the setting from patron only to public because there is a preview of two possible actual plays uh, available. And honestly, I could not decide between the two. So I put it up to our patrons uh, and the public of which of those two um, people would like to hear. But mm. with all of that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Okay, you've been on recently enough. Um, ooh, mm. surprise, surprise question. What comes to mind as the worst thing you've done lately? Uh, running games? Yes. Worst thing I've done lately. <laughs> uh boy um i mean i think the classic example is at the start of my last campaign and maybe like a, a you know a few sessions in i kind of got fixated on the like player versus dm mentality and i started to you know ramp up and 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 build things that specifically would counter what my players could do like counter their abilities that were annoying me or that they would use all the time and you know run through my encounters uh, i quickly realized that that was not the way to go but that's probably the best example is is that that was like one of the classics that i fell for hard and had to walk it back and totally change my mentality and say hey you know what it's actually about all of us having fun and you know, I can certainly challenge my players, but to just ruin their experience every week, <laughs> like that, that's that's not going to be fun for anybody. Uh, you actually mentioned this um, recently in a couple of your episodes. You you were talking about um, stunning players and realizing how unfun it is for people to be stunned and paralyzed. And I think it's kind of a similar idea, right? Like nobody likes to just sit there 
and lose a turn of combat, especially in higher levels. I think you mentioned this as well. If it takes 20 minutes to get to your next turn and you're just sitting there because you're paralyzed or stunned or whatever, that is no fun. So uh, I I definitely try to avoid that at all costs now, that that ruining people's fun for whatever reason. Uh, And, you know, I definitely kind of fell for it early on, but have, have since repented. So, yeah. What about you? Okay. So my my so I was really trying to think about like my worst habits as a DM and it is it is inevitably over or under preparing. Like that is mm-hmm. the yeah. that is my if I'm going to do something bad, it is my absolute go-to. And I found so this will kick us off with a very short story. The funniest the funniest one I found in all of my research and I've done this not to the extent of the version that I found was I'm so underprepared that I'm reading the thing that shouldn't be read aloud. <laughs> like I'm not paying it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I did not yeah. read the material well enough. And then I'm reading it. The one I found was, Oh, I, where it's like literally read all all of the box text that shouldn't have been read and ruined like the next 10 sessions worth of material. Typically, I've done it where I've like given like if it's a puzzle or a trap or something, I've definitely given those away because I was so underprepared that I just read yes. out loud the thing that should not have been read out loud. Yeah, I my very first experience running a game, I had this huge twist planned and it was going to be a reveal that like, oh, it's actually the mayor's assistant and she's the one who's causing all these problems. She's at the head of this cult kind of thing. You know, I had this mysterious hooded figure running around town and I dropped the she pronouns when I was describing the person running away. And immediately everyone was like, oh, yeah, we know who it is. And it's just like, dang it. Like, it's the worst to like self-own, you know, self. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where, where you just, you know, take that stick and you stick it straight in your front spokes yep. and, you know, <laughs> fly cool. over the handlebars of your own story. Yeah, always fun. Well, perfect. So, what is what is one of the stories that you have to regale us um, about how not to DM? Yes. So, uh, the first example I want to talk about today is from my friend Matthew from Abyssal Brews. Abyssal Brews is a D and D slash Pathfinder slash other TTRPG creator uh, creation partnership. They basically make magical items and design like small systems to bolt onto your games. Really cool stuff. If you want to check them out, they've got Socials on on all the social platforms. That's Abyssal Bruise. But uh, Matthew, his story was probably the most harrowing one that I had on my show so far. Basically, it boiled down to him starting a game with some friends. And he mentions he's been friends with these people for a while now. So he, he knows them fairly well. In the first session he decides to run with this group of friends, he introduces a concept where someone loses a child. And he didn't know this, but one of the people in the group had actually lost a child recently or, or, you know, had lost a child sometime in their past. And he said, you know, he knew these people pretty well, but there's some stuff that you may not know that people have experienced. And so that was his cautionary tale. He said it was incredibly awkward. Uh, You know, I think the thing kind of fell apart at that point and he apologized profusely and has since kind of reconciled with that person. But he said that, you know, they've never rolled dice together since then because the trust is just completely gone. And, and it's kind of hard to get it back after something like that. You bringing up something that was so hurtful from somebody's past. 
So, so that's kind of a cautionary tale of, you know, making sure that you've established exactly what people are comfortable with, especially if you're going to be diving into really sensitive topics like that. And so, yeah, he that was a, a big one, a big how not to DM, you know, first session just totally kind of derailing things because of the content. So, yeah, uh, a cautionary tale about communication and, you know, session zero, making sure that you've got everybody on the same page and you know what they're comfortable with so that you're not totally ruining someone's week, month, etc. Wow. Yeah. We came yeah. out of the gate Talk. strong. Yes, yeah, that's very yeah, tough. that's I mean that's a that specific topic is definitely one that even, you know, people will not have that go out of it outside that conversation happen outside even extended family will not even know mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. that that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's big that's, stuff. Yeah, that's that's tough because you can also because of not knowing you you can also bring up things that like you said even though knowing those people for a long period of time does yep. not mean you know everything. And that's why you have those outs to full stop uh because you just never right. know and, we, and i would also put the caveat that the players may not know because they haven't experienced having that confrontation of the material until they're in it and you can i mean you because you can definitely find yourself in fin- fantastical harrowing situations and a person find i'm out i can't this is not working for me Ooh. I will pivot us. I will pivot us very hard in the other direction. Okay. Let's uh, do because it. Because mine is titled Too Much of a Good Thing. And I feel like <laughs> this is a fairly common overcorrect uh, yes. where people are not leveling. This is basically the, the lead in is people are not leveling up very fast. They're not getting a lot of magic items or gold or, you know, just feel kind of like a low, you know, lower experience uh, overall. So the overcorrect was basically, here, let me see. Yeah, get it in front of me. So in this next campaign, we leveled three or four levels per session until we hit about level 14, then inched our way forward after that. Tons of money. And at level five, we had artifacts because the DM had a house rule that if anyone rolls a hundred on a loot table, it's an artifact. And then you there were also allowed to be any monstrous race. And sure, there was like some debuffing, but not enough. Uh. Add on. So basically, it, the, the DM was also really heavy into console RPG. So like, this is why the player thinks it went that way. But also in, instituted a class change where basically at fourth and 12th level, you gained additional abilities from another class. And by the end of the campaign... The paladin could drop a minimum of twelve hundred points of damage. Yeah, and surprise, surprise, that's not fun for very long. Like yeah. that's only that only ends up being fun because you just have too much. Like nothing means anything anymore. Like if you're dropping twelve hundred damage, or you're retrofitting where every monster has ten thousand damage, so that you, right. you're you're correcting in different ways. Where again, like nothing means anything because. You're bam, you got to level 14. And even that's hard because then you didn't really realize what you're getting along the way. My favorite is P.S. The DM had the horrible habit of <laughs> instituting new rules in the middle of combat. Uh, I.e. <laughs> creatures having the ability to roll a, roll a save versus what you rolled to hit them to air quote phase out to negate your hit. Oh, so like if they rolled 
the player rolls a 24 to hit, they could roll some saving throw. And if they yeah. hit more than a 24, you know, oh, you actually didn't hit them. Like, that's what armor class is for. What are we doing here? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I know that... New DMs often fall into this, and my buddy Matthew, not the same Matthew where the story was about, but my friend Matthew who did my Kickstarter with me, he's in my home group, he said he, he says he always falls for this, where you just want to give your players all these new items and stuff, and you know, it, you're absolutely right, like, then you have to totally compensate and either throw the Tarrasque at them every week, or you've got to up the Tarrasque's damage and health points to, to be way too much. And then it's just kind of like, all right, what, you know, what are we doing here? Like, we're just doing more math to play the same game. The, the instituting new rules during combat too, that's no fun. That's no fun for anybody. That's Calvin ball uh, for those Calvin and Hobbes fans out there. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are we, you know, that it's not very fun to like plan and then realize that what you're trying to do isn't going to work just because the DM pulls out some new arbitrary made up thing to, to negate you. So, Wow. Wow. And I won't even, ah, man, even if I'm wrong with a rule, I have a tendency yeah. not to address it in combat. I, I mean, it may be addressed yeah. to the point to say, this is the decision for right now, but and we can figure this out later, but like, I'm not going to let this conversation deter our combat that much. <laughs> to, so, yeah. okay, here's the ruling for now, and if we want to make a more permanent ruling, afterwards we can, but th- we're done. We're moving. Where it's like, I phase out. Yeah, imagine the arguments that that would cause. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Make sure not to to pump your players up too fast, because then it's not fun for anybody. You know, like that that line. Needless to say, it was fun for maybe three sessions. That that says it all. You know. Yeah, because a one shot, and that's what you want to do, and mm-hmm. you can you can flavor that the right way, and be overpowered, and be everything you want to be. But it doesn't. It just doesn't work for a campaign like this. You just took all the, what do I say, all the stakes. They're gone. Uh What's your next one? All right. Let's see what we got. My next one is from my buddy Josh. He has an actual play show called The Titans of Altera. He was also a cast member on the really popular actual play show called Sneak Attack. Correct. Yes. He's been on the Dungeon Master's blog. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Both him and Reed have been on before. He's a good egg. Love Reed too. Uh, sorry, Reed, your uh, your Chiefs just lost to the Detroit Lions. Oh my <laughs> um, gosh, that's amazing! Anyway, yeah, uh, if he's listening, he's gonna be mad. Uh, anyway, so Josh's story actually involves Reed because they were friends and playing games uh, previous to deciding to record Sneak Attack, right? But Josh said his very first time running a game. He didn't communicate at all with his players about what to expect and then didn't have them talk to each other at all about like planning what their party looked like and that kind of thing. I've heard people argue, well, if you all talk to each other about who's going to play what role, then it's metagaming or whatever. And I think that that is probably taking it a little too far. I think there's a lot to be said for balancing your party to make sure that there's not going to be a bunch of people all doing the same thing as you, and that's exactly what happened here. He said that uh, he started, you know, it was cold open. All of his players are in a carriage that's being driven through some tunnels into the gladiator ring, right? You know, classic like, oh, you're all prisoners. You're going to fight to the death in this gladiator ring kind of to start the game, right? And he said he was kind of like going around having them each introduce themselves you know, they should talk to each other about who they are and, you know, what what kind of abilities they have before they get into this fighting ring. And he said that each of them in turn kind of said, like, 
I just, you know, fold my arms and pull my hood down and say nothing. And he realized that he had four <laughs> different players who had each made Batman. <laughs> oh, nice. They, he said they were all either elves or half elves and they all had dark, mysterious pasts and, you know, dark robes and were all like rogues or, or you know, wh- whatever kind of dark, mysterious characters they wanted to be. And uh, because of that, it kind of just stopped the game at the very beginning because he realized, okay, this isn't going to work if none of them are going <laughs> to role play with each other or want to talk to each other. Um, and uh, a, a lot more humorous than my last example, certainly, but uh, definitely an example of, okay, maybe we should establish some expectations up front. And make sure that people are talking to each other and bouncing ideas off each other. I think, honestly, if you can get your players to, like, create reasons why they know each other and backstory with each other and common goals and interests, it just makes everything that much more cohesive. And for you as a DM, it gives you tons of ideas to run with and stories to explore as opposed to letting them do what they want and then realizing that you've got four... (laughs) Four edge lords, four murder hobos. Then it's just not going to work out. I would. The solution is clearly to see which one gets to survive, and the other <laughs> three people just roll new characters that were in the stands, and then whoever, that, whoever wins gets to yeah. be the edge lord. That's yeah, funny. They, they get That's to keep really the character, and the rest of them were somewhere else. I mean, it, it's funny because I added I added a new player, and even knowing. Every you know, I you know, I told him every class and race yeah. that that was there at the table already. Even knowing those things, he made a character and then was like, "I don't like this and I don't think it fits." And so then we're we're gonna switch out that character for another one because he's like, "Yeah, I it just didn't it didn't work." The you know the, the character and the backstory didn't flow with the rest of the party. So I'm gonna make somebody else, and then we'll go we'll go from there. And yeah. So even like I said, even with all of the knowledge that, you know, that that can still be a struggle when adding someone new. But yeah, not talking about it at all. That's uh, (laughs) that's a rough that's a rough way to go, because then and it's also rough for the DM, even if like, okay, let's say they are all on board and they're all okay with it. If no one can heal, you're going to pull punches. You always will. Yeah. It's just the long and the short of it. Or you're always going to have uh, to give them potions or wands or always have a DMPC with them. Or, you know, all of these yep. things. Um, because otherwise they just die, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd basically be the Thieves Guild or whatever, right? Like, that's that's where we're going with this. Uh, and again, he said it was his first game. So I'm sure he was just kind of like, uh, like, I don't know what to do with this. So, uh, yeah, but great example. Uh, make sure that that you've kind of done some communication and planning beforehand. Otherwise, your first session could be a little bit bumpy. Uh, I feel like this one that this one is another common mistake that dms make uh and i entitled it take a look it's a book where at the end of like the basic premise of behind it is you're not telling a story with the players you're telling a story to the players yeah um and there's no involvement and i've been in one where that's what happened it was a bunch of dialogue it was basically we get so you know we start in media res we're in a battle we get absolutely Destroyed. So this is my personal one, and then we'll talk about the other one. But we get destroyed. 
and you know we're frustrated, and then we wake up and all our stuff's gone, and we're frustrated. Uh. But it, but but it, I don't actually have a problem with that. Like if that's the story, and then we're gonna have to figure it out from there. Okay, uh, and then like a bag of gold just shows up on our hips, and I'm like, oh, I'm out now. Do, I don't want to. I don't want to be part of this. You've you caused the problem, then you solved the problem in a weird way, um, and yeah, that one fell apart because it was basically you're just reading your story out loud. So this one is basically the person is the usual DM. They're like, ah, oh, I just want to take a break. And you can already tell it's it's not going to go great. Because basically <laughs> someone else in the game store is just running over like, I'll be your DM. Oh, which no. I get it. Like, my first thought is, ah, that's someone that is that excited. It, it's often it, it may be fraught with peril. And that's yep. what happened. Uh, but they said, let's give it a try. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, and quote, I have never been so wrong, <laughs> but basically they tell the story. They tell, set up the premise of the world saying no dragonborn. And if you're your magic user, you won't have your magic until the end of the second or third session. But by that time, everyone will also have spells like, okay, oh, what are we doing? Like, what's yeah, the point? Oh, yeah. And then goes through, <laughs> makes a monk super powerful. They start at level five for some reason. Play the first session, um, and then it just falls apart right then. Basically, the characters, and I think this is part of it, is the characters have backstories that the DM is telling them that they have. Mm. Like, oh, well, no, you've been working in this town. It's like, well, but that's, I made the monk that, like, just left their monastery. Like, you're telling me I've been working in this town for for five years. Like, okay, I guess. Fast forward they're fighting a magic tree and then fighting literal gods. I rolled a hit them. 23. Sweet. Oh, you miss. Oh, okay. Uh, NPC is casting. I don't, this is an exaggeration. I don't think this is real numbers, but 37th level fireball. And it's going to hit the hill you're standing on unless you get away in one turn. Basically, Runs away, ends up right next to the BBEG, and gets sliced in half for 178 damage. <laughs> At level 5. <laughs> yeah. So the entire group gets wiped. Like a seven-person party group gets wiped. Uh, and then come to find out is basically the plot of a book that the DM had read. And it's just shoehorning the characters into this like very specific backstory and plot line and everything like that because it's the book they read. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> 178 damage. <laughs> You're dead! Uh, like, like you, you did all this, like, you can't be this, you can't be that. Uh, I'm going to give you a specific backstory, and then I'm just going to kill you all in my first encounter, because I don't know why. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've had a lighter, uh, a li- I mean, uh, two lighter versions of that. Like I said, the, that initial one, and we kind of didn't follow up with that campaign. Uh-huh. I've also had a campaign fall apart because the DM was reading a book and was so I so impacted by the story of this book that we were, uh, I think it was one of my favorite characters. It was in the 3.5 days, so you could do anything under the sun and then half the things above the sun anyways, too. Um, but I had made... A dwarven barbarian and took all the right feats to do brachiation, which basically meant I could swing through trees at the same speed that I could walk. 
long story short, we're going through very normal campaign. One character is like kind of like the forefront of the campaign, the like the one that the plot circles around the most. Things have gone left and left, right, and sideways. Uh, the bard was given way too much power, and then we're like traveling through the countryside, and then we just like basically go through a portal in time. And like we're in like a few like a modern day alley and like finding a gun and I'm just like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> you didn't take the opportunity to be dwarf barbarian Spider-Man? <laughs> I thought about it because like my axe survived because it was one of the few magic items we had found. But no, I opted. We all opted out that that's, that it's, we're good. That's the end of our story uh, for this campaign. So. Yeah, I mean, DMs think that they're slick sometimes, but players can tell, like, when you're just like, oh, and none of your decisions up to this point have mattered because now you're going to this place that I want you to go to and doing this thing, and now you're going here. Uh, and that gets that gets pretty boring, especially for folks who want to feel like their decisions matter and feel like they're role-playing, you know, and, and creating a story together. Yeah, uh... <laughs> Yeah, moral of the story, if you think your book idea is fantastic, hey, you should write it down because maybe people will buy it, you know? Maybe maybe people will like it, but but don't subject your friends to a role-playing game. It could be extremely compelling. Yeah, New York be. bestseller. Not great for your game. No. <laughs> Go live your dreams, uh, but, but, but write it, you know? Maybe start with a short story and see how it goes. Anyway. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, my next example is from Mike Shea, a.k.a. Sly Flourish. I believe Ooh, yeah. he's been on your show as well. No. He hasn't, okay. No. I, I don't mean we know, We'll have to remedy that at some point. I agree. Yes. I, he makes he's, amazing He's very things. agreeable, very friendly. I'm sure you could, you could ask him to come on sometime. But anyway, Mike mentioned, uh, and this actually goes back to kind of my example at the beginning of the show. He said that he also fell into that same trap of the antagonist DM mentality. And he didn't like outline a very specific example, but basically he, he said like he would get really mad about players not engaging with specific plot points or ruining combats by negating his monster's abilities or NPC's abilities that he had carefully planned. He said this kind of cropped up, especially during the 4E times when, when it, it was very tactical and, and monsters had very specific um, abilities. Uh, I haven't actually played 4E, so so this is all just, you know, conjecture. But he, he said, like, he would spend a ton of time prepping because 4E did take a lot of time to prep to make combat sessions work and, and work really well. And so it felt bad that all of this prep time he would spend on these monsters and all of these intricate mechanics were being ruined by players and so he you know he felt that kind of antagonist dm mentality cropping up and, and he would try to thwart his players and, and punish his players for being creative and solving the problems he was putting in front of them so um he, he definitely he said he had a change of mentality um i'm glad that you know if mike shea can can feel like he had to deal with that and i had to feel with that that you know, I had to deal with that. That makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Uh, but that's you know, that's why I not, not to plug my show again. But that's why I love um, talking to all these DMs oh, and yeah. asking about the mistakes they've made because it humanizes them and it makes me and everybody else feel a lot better about ourselves. Because hey, even the best in the biz have done these dumb things as well. So, but yeah, that that was his example. Um, really, just 
trying to thwart the players and, and ruining their fun because he was angry about having to spend prep time that he didn't get to use. And uh, yeah, it's it's an easy trap to fall into because I think at its very roots, D&D was really like D- DM versus player, right? It was, mm-hmm. I am going to kill all of you because I've, con- you know, I've cracked this dungeon with all of these traps and stuff and you're not ready for it and you're all going to die. And you know, the, having the roots of the game in that uh, means that we're still going to see that pop up every now and then. And that's kind of still like an undercurrent, even if you're not aware of it. So the game has definitely changed a lot. And I think for the better, for for most folks who are more interested in telling a story and, and having fun than, you know, like it being a chess match all the time, uh, tit for tat kind of thing. So, yeah. I think part of that comes from, I, I've always attributed some of it from almost like published playtesting is what I call it. Mm. Like at at its earliest iterations, you don't know anything about anything. You know, we've got decades worth of role-playing games to base things off of now, but then you need, I need to build things so that you can try and break them. And then I need to make them so that you can't break them, but then you want to try and break them, but then I need to. And so like, I'm trying to find where my, our limits are, but I'm also publishing this and sending yeah. it out into the public at the same time, yeah. not play te- like because anymore that would get play tested out before it gets published. And I just feel like in some ways it's like published play test material of like, well, no, th- here's the version that didn't break. And it's like, well, that is you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that's the version that has to go out, I guess. Um, but you say that. So then my next one, um, I guess I'll protect the not so innocent. And then we'll just say it's someone I know. And they sent me this fun story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but basically, uh, we're playing fifth edition. In this week's episode of playing fifth edition, uh, the DM has placed in front of them a Titan with Five legendary resistances or legendary actions. Mm. That's not how legendary actions work. When you make a creature legendary, there's three, not five. And then surprise round. Basically, also, these characters are sixth level, but have also been given magic where they cast two ninth level fireballs and freezing sphere from the wands and staves that they have. Um, and used three legendary resistances to say no to all of them. And not just no to saving, just no. Straight up no damage. No thank you. Not today. Yeah, so even if you... I mean, so say you save and you have a resistance. I mean, I guess if you just had immunity, then you wouldn't use the legendary saves. Yeah. But you're saying you use it, which means you save. And then at most, then you could have a resistance. So even a, a quarter damage of this high-level fireball ball, at least I'm doing something, right? No. Incorrect. It's a, it does zero damage. legendary actions to just use evasion. <laughs> to <Yeah>. just <laughs> No, that's... Yeah, again, it's like, okay, I'm going to build this monster, and then I'm going to give my characters all of these really overpowered weapons and make them face this overpowered monster, and then I'm going to make sure the overpowered monster can negate all of the overpowered weapons that I have given them. (laughs) You can't make it up, you know? It's as if you are texting the person I know the same thing that I text them. (laughs) Uh, Also, the, the creature was capable of using the shield during the reaction and was able to use it every round for, or like 12 times and i'm like wow. 
I'm like, well, hold up. That means they had 12 level one spell slots. Basically, yes. Creating an armor class of 25. Uh, base 25 from shield. Against level sixes, you said? Uh, it also had... Uh, it threw a boulder uh, from 85 feet away, but no add advantage. Add, <laughs> add advantage. Also, it had like a special ability where it would rip your arm off. Ooh, speaking of uh, Session Zero stuff, yeah. DC 20 strength save or your arm 20? is 20? Yes. Okay, so like you've got like maybe one or two characters that might make that some of the time. Yeah, so it's not a spell effect. It's not an on hit. It's a I rip your arm off. You better save. Oh, you have no arm. Uh, oh, but oh, but wait, but wait. You thought I was done. There's more. Wrong. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So now that your arm is gone, there's like this creature that has previously been defeated that is like a thousand armed creature. And if you take one of the arms off of the thousand armed creature. You then gain an additional several levels of a randomized class that that arm was then attached to. Have you told me this story before? I swear you've you've told me this before. I or was this I, on your show? I have. Oh, I have. No, I don't think I. Maybe, but I, if it is, I'm happy. No, you to you share texted me this. Time. That's right. This I because yes. this is familiar. The arm thing. I was like, wait a sec. That's I've heard this before. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so. So it's like trying to give them like something like I ripped your arm off, but hey, maybe this random class and and race arm that is on this creature, if you attach that to yourself, you might get something cool or you might get something that doesn't mesh at all with your current build. That's, uh, that was yeah. my exact thought, too. I was like, what if it just doesn't it's meaningless? Also, we beat we just beat it. The barbarian's been ripped in half. And between us all, there have been seven arms lost. But now, but then the problem, the problem, the weirdest problem, though, is the person who did not have an arm ripped off, which is my friend. Uh huh. So what do they do? Do they yeah. just not gain three additional levels like everybody else? Do they forcibly have their arm ripped off or cut the arm just to keep pace with now everyone else that advanced three levels to nine where they're six? Multi-class potentially advance or not multi-class advance. Huh. Yeah, there are much cooler ways to make your players pay some kind of price to gain some kind of ability. I can I can think of a bunch. Uh, there's also way cooler ways to involve them in, in an epic scale battle without making them face this titan that's just going to negate everything they do and rip their arms off. Like... Maybe they're fighting the people who are trying to awaken the Titan. Or, you know, any any number of things, especially at 6th level. Like, there are so many ways you can make this make the stakes high without just plopping them in front of this invincible killing machine that's going to totally change the fabric of the game at, at level 6. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And even three legendary resistances are at level tough. Six, that's, yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's tough and then it's... I mean, it's part of the game, and it even goes back to our early discussion about the stun, um, because depending on what was used and then what I use it for, um, but at the same time, like, theoretically, I could have saved it, saved for it by rolling well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of okay with those. The legendary actions are also always interesting, yeah. um, because depending five. on how that's structured. Five is a lot, because... It's a lot. That action uh, economy is insane. Because because and I get it though because if you have one big thing 
and then six people. It's your ability to like get stay in the mix of that. It's not I go, they go, I go, they go. You know, you're kind of mixing things in. But the whole thing with it is you only have so many. You can't repeat them within a round typically. And mm-hmm. for the larger ones, they often cost more. So Right, two, if it's two like, or three actions kind of thing. Yeah, yeah um, that sort of thing. Also using your reaction to just cast shield indefinitely. <laughs> I'm like, but at that point, just say you have more armor class. Right, I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't like the number you're getting to. Like, that's not fun. <laughs> but at least just say that. No, don't tell me you're just casting shield every round. That makes me Yeah. Angry. Yeah, if you're worried about action economy, there's a dun- a, a dozen different ways to remedy that too. I think of like you just add in a bunch of one hit point minions from 4e, right? That that kind of will eat up your players' actions if you're worried about them killing your thing. Yep. Oh, MCDM Flea Mortals just came out. So look at their minion rules. They did a lot of uh, testing for 5e. One of the big things is they they make them one hit rather. They refer to it as one hit rather yeah. than one HP because if you do one HP, things like sleep become ridiculously overpowered so true, you leave true. the hit points but you make them one hit but yeah the, that add in layer action so everybody yep. knows initiative 20 something's gonna happen use those or you legendary do two smaller big bads you know so that like each of them are taking turns and then you could cut up your you know you could have each have like two legendary actions or whatever and yeah and then it becomes more interesting tactically right because you can try to flank people or, or like you know one attacks the back line and one stays with the front line there's just so many more interesting ways to do this than than what they did <laughs> yeah and another and i've brought it up before but another one to look at i used the um the lich empress from steamforge games and they had a lot of really interesting things for that creature to use that are some of the more fun things like instead of stunning i have the ability to take away like your strongest ability so like for the rogue i'm going to take away your sneak attack okay so like you're hampered but you still get to do things is it that you're setting other people up for more success is that you're still trying to do what you can without the thing that i've taken what i should have done is also actually use it against them i did not Oh, like like absorbing the ability kind of thing. So I actually hit the fighter, and I actually hit the fighter and the rogue, and I was like, and so I took action surge and sneak attack away from them for you know only for the duration of the fight. It's not permanent. It didn't require a spell after the fact, but in the fight now they have to figure those things out. Oh, in hindsight, (laughs) I absolutely should have action surged sneak attacked them, but I didn't, and I, um, a deer players that come across me when i want to do that i'm sorry <laughs> this is such but a again, good idea I'm but again you're, you're 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 <laughs> taking you're taking it you're using it back against them but every round they're still allowed to take their turn like and yeah, that's yeah that would yeah oh wow wow the arms thing that's yeah that's something like I said, you left one player with that has to make the choice of what do I do? Yeah, do I chop off my own arm? Like that's well, that's rough. It's like, you know, it's, like, it seems like geez. the only choice you could possibly make because, or am I going to stay level six and you're level nine? Yeah, that's a big leap. Oh, all right. My next example is from my friend Kaya. She has been on. Uh, she was on the actual play Twice Bitten. For those who who are familiar, it's a, a Curse of Strahd actual play. Where a DM <clears throat> ran the game for a bunch of other DMs who had previously DM'd Curse of Strahd, but they tried to stick to rules as written as, as closely as possible. 
really popular actual play out there. So go check that out if you're thinking of running Curse of Strahd or if you're a Strahd fan. But uh, her example was running Strahd. And I think she mentioned it was her first time running it. And she said that the game up to the the very final encounter had been very much more about the role play and about problem solving than it was about crunchy combat. And that was really kind of, you know, driven by her players being more interested in engaging in that kind of stuff. So she, you know, she adjusted and made it much more about the uh, the role play and solving problems creatively instead of uh, always with the sword and shield kind of thing. So she said uh, in preparing the final encounter with Strahd, spoilers for Curse of Strahd, you fight Strahd. Uh, <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, she said that she prepared this particular encounter with an emphasis on it being incredibly tactical and she she had all of these you know npcs that were coming back um to to fight with him and kind of the first half of the combat her players were a little bit a little bit baffled and and confused about why all of the sudden this game that had been more about you know working with people and and talking to people and and kind of uh that side of things all of a sudden it was just incredibly crunchy combat and she said that she was, you know, it was not going well for them in the first half of kind of this session. And so they had a mid-session break and all of them kind of gave her that feedback mid-game. They're like, this is not what we expected. You know, like we haven't really done this at all and we haven't planned for this kind of fight. And so therefore we're not like coming here ready and prepared to to deal with this kind of fight. And then she said... So so she decided, okay, well, I guess I'll adjust it then. But she said she swung way too far the other way oh, and then no, made yeah. all of the people that were fighting against them, like, all of a sudden useless. Like, they all, like, retreated and started attacking with disadvantage and being pretty ineffectual. And then the players were kind of even more insulted that it's like, okay, well, fine. I'm just going to, you know, put on the kids' gloves and, and you know, none of this matters and it's going to be an easy fight to win. And yeah, she she just felt bad about that, that. That's kind of how the game had to end was that she prepped way too intensely one way and then swung way too far the other way and the players just didn't get the resolution they were hoping for based on kind of how the game had been run up to that point. So yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting example and I think it, it highlights very much like know your player's play style and emphasize that and and don't switch things up on them too quickly because they're they're you know they'll get whiplash they're not ready for for that kind of change um unless you all talk about it and that is you know the direction that you, that you want to take it so uh yeah that that was a good example i think of and and it feels bad that it's like the last you know the last part of the game but uh that that was a good example of of a mistake that was made that's that might be the toughest one we've presented so far because you have you have a lot of really positive things that have been presented. Uh-huh. The campaign has gone really well. You yeah. have players willing and able to give you that constructive feedback. You have a DM who is is receptive enough to say, I'm willing to change. So this, that's why this one's really tough. The rest of them are like, these people are terrible. <laughs> Leave. Like, yeah. ah, I found the solution. Don't go there again. Which isn't, which I am not acting like that's easy because oftentimes right. the games we play are with people that we know outside of the game. Um, but again, not every... Not everyone works in every setting together. I'll just leave that there. Yeah. To then say, I know it would be hard. My thought would be, I don't think I would have finished the session. 
Yeah. Um, I also think I probably would have retconned the other half of that session. Knowing my players, I can fill the rest of the session with not us rolling dice. It is a difficult thing I have sometimes where some of us haven't seen each other in a while. And it's difficult to say, hey, remember why we got together? It's to play D&D and roll those math rocks. We're going to do that now. Um, so the idea that like you could fill that space with just talking to each other, be it about the game or just life in general. Um, uh-huh. But I think for me personally, that probably is the direction I would suggest. That's probably a better way to say that. Like, I don't know that I, c- I could have or would have in the moment. Um, and, you know, looking looking back on it and completely from outside, one of the things that could have been tried potentially is not finish that session because it is the end of the campaign um, and to retcon what had happened to not have happened um, and set those expectations at that point to say, hey, this will still be a tactical fight. No, probably not as far as it was taken initially. But yes, come to the next uh, session knowing that surprise you're going to fight Strahd. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, Again, I think she mentioned that was her first game. And so I don't know if people like if they haven't heard that retconning is a possibility slash not totally frowned upon, you know, would you consider that as as something that, that that's in your back pocket as something you could pull out and do? Uh, I have retconned before, proud to say it, and I think it's honestly a really good solution sometimes when you forget something or you've done something wrong or what whatever it might be. Like, go back to that quick save point, you know, and, and, and just retry things, and I'm sure your players will be fine with it, and I'm sure you will be fine with it, and, and everyone will be more happy because of it, too. But yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it's just kind of like, like she did everything right up to the point that, like, <laughs> just you know, it, uh, that, that one decision, you know, and, and it kind of all fell apart from there. So it's a sad one, but, but a good lesson to learn. Yep. So I have another fun one from fourth edition. Like, like has been said before, the math of fourth edition was rock solid to the point where you kind of had to progress in a very linear way to say, okay, I, you know, at this level, I fight this thing, but also at this level, there needs to be a certain kind of group composition so that when you do something, I can do something. Third player can do something. And those work in tandem to make the math. Yeah. yeah, The combos make the math work the right way. So play players all create the characters. It's all very out in the open. And basically some had some experience. Some didn't all worked, all get done. And the person, the, the player talking about the DM, basically they make what, uh, they make more of the warlord type character where you're able to buff and like you're that person that's doing something so that someone can do something else and basically get get through and they're able to stun the monsters and kind of lock them down and do certain things at which point this is this is my favorite just because it's like oh you you said the quiet part out loud that's okay <laughs> it says i start lay they said i start laying down my status effects to try and help my allies. When the DM looks at me and says, I don't like controllers. These two enemies attack are going to attack you just so that I can kill your character. <laughs> at which point I do everything in my power to survive, but I go down in a round. And the kicker is at that point, everyone else starts dying because you broke the math. Yep. At which, at which point the counter to the counter is basically deus ex machina. Everything just, kind of goes away hand wavy hand wavy 
Um, and there you go. So now they win. But it was, but they would have won. But then you killed the character that would have made them win. So then you had to step in and hand wavy things <laughs> so that they did win. And the last line is, I haven't played with them since. Yeah, that's when uh, you start tugging at the at the string on your sweater and, and you unravel the whole thing pretty quick, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the, the best line is the, I don't like controllers. These two enemies attack you just so I can kill your character. <laughs> the, the DM said that out loud. That's just yeah. outlandish, you know? That's like a... That's like a YouTube video parody, you know, like you'd see that on someone's TikTok where they're making fun of really bad DMs. That's insane. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you just, that's, those are the words. And, and you come across, and like like we said initially, like some of the stories, a lot of the stories lean this way. And yeah. this is kind of a more comical version of the way the stories lean. But it's like, one, you should just never think that way. And what is always surprising to me is the secondary part of, if by chance you happen to think this way, you would not. You should then not say that out loud. That you should just. I, I mean, I guess you would just do that and not say that out loud. But you did both. You thought that and you said it, just out there for the world. To and say, then you did hey. it. <laughs> and 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 followed through. Yeah. Commit, commitment. <laughs> if nothing else, committed to the to the bit. What a bit it was too! Wow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think I think you you said it all. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add here. <laughs> yep, that one is just what it is. Uh, and they found that they found the solution. I have not rolled dice with them since. Yes, that's the correct move. Oh, geez. Okay, my last one is just a, a quick story about the first con games I was running. Uh, that was this past spring at a local convention to me here in Utah called SaltCon. Mostly a board gaming convention, but they also have a big RPG room going on where people are running lots of different games. I I signed up for some Adventurers League stuff. So basically we were running one-hour sessions that were just like mini jobs for each of the different uh, factions on the Sword Coast. So you got one-hour job for the Harpers, or a one-hour job for the Gentarim, or a one-hour job for, you know, that, that kind of thing, Order of the Gauntlet, etc. So this one happened to be the one-hour job for the Emerald Enclave I'm running. It was just like a simple go into the forest, and I don't remember, like, I, I don't remember what it was supposed to be. Anyway, I had two players at my table that were just, like, at odds with each other, and this is just something unique to con games, you you don't know who you're gonna run who who you're gonna run for right you have no idea who these players are they show up at your table you're running a game for them real time no one has any idea about anything uh, so one of them is just like incredibly disruptive and then the other one has main character syndrome and so one of them is just trying to derail everything all the time and is just like there for the memes like doing doing silly stuff like. I don't, I don't know, just, I, I can't even think of a good example. The other one is, like, trying to run things themselves, and so they start, like, fighting each other in the middle of the combat, and, uh, <laughs> it's just, like, me sitting there watching this happen. Uh, I, I definitely should have just shut it down at that point, um, but I did not, and that was a mistake on my part for sure, and as a result, like, it just kind of kept building and building, until, like, I I kind of, like, 
sided with one of the players a little bit and, and started like ruling in favor of one of them against the other just to like make it die down and, and, and kind of stop. But yeah, I, I think it was just that the fact that I had never had this kind of contention at my table before, like I, I run games with my friends and my family. Everyone gets along famously. We're all having a great time quoting movies and, and you know, having laughs and, and, and making memories. And then, you know, this was just like the complete opposite of that. And I, I didn't really know what to do. So uh, I, I let it fester way too long, even for an hour game. <laughs> I, I let it like, you know, it was maybe a good 10 minute stretch until I started trying to do something to mitigate it. But it was still the wrong choice. And so, yeah, it kind of ruined the game for everybody else at the table. I didn't have a great time on that particular session. Uh, I, luckily, all of the other ones I did were, were fine. Ran for a lot of kids, which was fun. Like, you know, like middle school age or, or high school age kids, uh, which was was just super fun. But yeah, this particular time, I definitely handled that poorly. And as a result, everybody else at the table didn't really have a good time. Um, I'm I don't think they probably saw me as the as the bad guy in this situation. I'm sure they noticed that these players were being you know particularly disruptive. But yeah, uh, what would you have done in that situation? So I have been in that exact situation and yes. done the exact same thing because it was the first time. Um, and it's one of the tough things. And um, I know some of the the advice that goes around about like if you're gonna join start playing uh to be a pro dm and, uh -huh. and um part of part of that though comes with like when people pay it happens a little bit less but every time you right. go to a convention what i like to refer to it is it's internet light um in the yeah. sense that you know uh, a lot of times the anonymity of the internet empowers a person to do and say things that they likely wouldn't do in in the real world if you were face to face especially if you're sitting directly within arm's reach of another person uh-huh. There's a I actually saw something recently that the same kind of thing where if you're ordering with a person at a fast food restaurant, you're less likely to add more things. But if you order through an app ah. or you're ordering through the big screen, you'll add the extras because you don't you don't have that intrinsic no guilt because you're just doing it through a machine. You're not engaging with another person verbalizing. I would want to do that. All the, you know, there's basic human nature at that point. Yeah. So what I've realized is that the best way that I can curb those kind of things is turn myself up from jump. I'm the biggest, like when I'm at a con and it's, it's tough because then it forces, it, it takes a lot more out of me. It requires more breaks on my part. Yeah. But for the most part, I try and be the biggest personality at Established that I'm the biggest personality at the table only because like I'm I've been put in charge and like yeah that the, like that's why I'm there like you know when I did the D and D cruise at the end of the story like you know other people paid for me to be there so then I need I'm just trying to establish myself as you know we're like we're all in agreement like that's that's why I'm here to to do this for you. So I try and really establish that initially I'll get out of the way instantly because th that's the most fun that everyone's going to have at the table is then allowing their personalities, but just a really established, a really big personality from jump yes. um, is what I've noticed helps a lot. Those scenarios happen to I, <laughs> the easiest way to disrupt it is I just had, I, I have a break. 
Mm. We're going to take a break. I'm like, just curb it immediately. Uh, uh, bathroom that's break. That's a good idea. Snack break. Any kind of break. Any For any reason. Just to, just to curb it. And then, because then I can do the same thing. Like, if I have to reestablish that I, I'm going to be the biggest personality again, then I can reestablish. Also, with that break, I can move past it. I can, whatever was happening is not happening now because we took a break and we came back and I'm just, we're just doing something different. We're just, we're on to the next part of this story. Yeah. Um, and if it keeps going, because the biggest thing to watch for in that moment though is what is above and what is at the table. Because if we start to go above the table, I, I, that's, and I think that's the hardest line to find. Yes. Is to say, okay, like, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm an only child. Sometimes I don't know what play fight. I never grew up with play fighting. So like, Ah. I really don't, I super don't understand it. I grew up not fighting or fighting. That's how, that's how my brain works. Like, because I never grew up. I never wrestled. You know, I never play wrestled. Um, I never like. That's just not the dynamic. I ever. I didn't have a lot of cousins either. So then, like, I didn't like. I literally, my brain is wired. Either we are fighting, or we are not fighting. Those are the, It's a binary system in my brain. So then, it's hard sometimes to see. Okay, are we? Are we at the table? Or are we above the table? Because any issue that goes above the table in my home game, at a con game, or anything, that needs to get addressed either. It either needs to get, well, I guess in my my home game, that needs to be stopped and addressed later. Yeah. I don't don't need to address it immediately. If it's my, if it's a con game, it has to be addressed immediately. Right. Just because you don't have the time to do it any other way. So yeah, establish yourself as the biggest personality. Because, I mean, you have, like, and I know that feels weird and I know that's tough, but at the You're end. You're absolutely right. Especially in a con, and I say that more in a con situation than I would at, at home game. Yeah. But when you're at a con, because there, that, and there's, because again, like, it's almost this weird agreement that that's what's happening. And I, and I really, really felt it more at the cruise than I've ever felt it anywhere else, only because I had such consistent you know, I had the same players yes. through the whole thing. Typically when I'm at a con, like you said, I got them for one session. I can, you know, I can, I can let things slide a little bit more. I can work through, through things differently because, and it's the same reason they could act that way. I probably never see that person again. Yep. But, but at the cruise, I was on to the point where, to the point where even when I would sit down at lunch and if players would sit near or at the same table, I realized I would go, I would turn back on. Um, to the point where, like, t- G- the GM Tim and I, one at one lunch, just sat there. He's like, are you okay? I was like, oh, yeah, I am totally fine. I do not have to say anything to you, and you're going to be okay with that. Because <laughs> I know that you are you don't have to say anything to me, and I'm okay with that. And we could just sit here and talk. It's super calm. Or just not talk at all and just eat our food. And that's totally okay because I don't have to be on for you, and you don't have to be on for me. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Establish personality, take breaks, um, because because it can be because that's a very innocent, you know, you can make that a very innocent um, scenario, and then depending on what it is, the break also affords you an opportunity to talk to people. Yeah, if that's what you need to, if it's con, if it's whoever's running your your room, the con itself, um, to get whatever support you need, as well as potentially pull someone aside and have the conversation with them. Um, and then, like I said, you can move the story forward after a break as well as 
establishing your personality um, and doing stuff like that. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think it was just really that I was so green and so new to that that particular style of running games that, that I just was like uncomfortable and, and, and kind of like not frozen, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I was, uh, I can't think of the, the right word I'm looking for. I was kind of stunned. Dazed, I mean, like, yeah. Stunned. Like, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. what do I do? Like just, just trying to like keep running the game and, and hopefully it works itself out. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Even if it was an hour session, a five minute break is not going to ruin the plot. And I can skip some things, and like you said, I I can I could go talk to them individually and say, all right, look, we can't keep doing this. And you're also right that that like being the DM, I don't think I've ever seen it like this, but especially at a con, you are the authority figure. I don't I don't really run my games like that at home. I'm not like hard and fast. My word is law. Bow to me, mortals. Right, but but at a con, you have to do that in order to survive, especially in, in a situation like this. So. Yep, lesson learned for sure, and and I will make sure to to uh, confront things when I need to for next time because I'm sure it will happen again. And to to circle us all the way back around, read what you're gonna read in your head before you read it out loud. I'm just gonna throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. man, yes, cool. I read it all out loud. Great job. Oh, no one likes the DM who just like sits there and reads the stuff to them and then like looks up, you know, with like really sleepy eyes and says, all right, what, what are you doing now? No one likes that. And as always, Derek, thanks for coming on, spending some time with us. Yes. And of course, if people wanted to go to hear mm. and read, I guess, would they read? If people wanted to see more of what you're doing, where would they go on the interwebs? They would go to linktree.com slash HN, the number two DM. That's five characters, HN, two DM. That has all my links to my socials, to my podcast, to, you know, various things that I've been doing, um, guest spots, etc. So uh, my Kickstarter also, if you if you didn't get a chance to buy that, you can buy the, the full version on a couple of different places. But yeah, I've got a bunch of really cool episodes. I I highlighted some of my guests here. Neil has been on my show twice, once as a guest for interviewing sake, and once as a uh, guest to chat about the Wizards Content Creator Summit. So if you didn't get enough of of the the news about what went down there, you can listen to he and I break it down from a a digital attendee's perspective. So uh, yeah, a couple of different places you can catch Neil on my show as well. Perfect. I this is it's a little bit weirder when it's pseudo guest. This is rare. Um, and of course, if you want to tell us about your oh my gosh, please Ooh, absolutely, yes. please please, if you want to tell us about your worst DM story, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. I will absolutely respond to you. It may just be a crying emoji, but I promise <laughs> I will respond to your email. Um, and of course, if you head over to whatever podcatcher you have, which I've recently heard Stitcher is going away, but yes, um, there you go. And so leave us a rating, a review, like and subscribe. Subscribe, do all the things, beat the beat the evil algorithm. That's all we're really going for here. It'll change and we'll have to beat it a different way. Ugh. But if you head over to Twitter, aka X for today, you can find us at DMS underscore block. We're also on things that Meta owns. Facebook, Instagram, threads. Don't forget, they're owned by the same company, everybody. And of course, we're a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons. 
Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters who are now uh, starting to record their second campaign. I'm really excited to hear what characters happen there and more. So, and as always, thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Derek. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Bye.